Okay, good evening, you guys. The um, handouts that you have there, I think I mislabeled. No, I got two. No, we got them. Okay. The one I gave, uh, the teaching I gave last week, the Eschatology Part 1, Wednesday, February 10th, 2016. Those were all the terms that I talked about uh, last week. Do you guys have any questions with those? I told you I'd have a handout this week for that, but do you guys have any questions concerning those? Just real quick, let's go through it. Purpose of covering eschatology, making a distinction between what the world believes will happen in the future and what the Bible teaches. Then we have um, the rapture, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I was unclear on the timing of that. Scripture isn't clear. Then we have the tribulation, which involves... The uh, judgments which come after that, and it's broken into two parts, the tribulation period and then the great tribulation period, separated by what comes later, the abomination of desolation. But it is because of the wrath of God that is coming, and we are not appointed under wrath. <coughs> Excuse me. And God is not willing to have believers experience his wrath in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 there. During this time, there will be the Antichrist, and I listed several scriptures there in your outline that you can look up later. And there is also the spirit of Antichrist, and that is pervasive even now throughout the world. Even though it was back then, 2,000 years ago, it's even just as prevalent today. Uh, Then there is this final battle at the end of the seven years of tribulation where the people actually... uh, try to attack Christ as he comes down and he just grabs the beast and he grabs the false prophet and casts them into chains for a period of 1,000 years. And we believe here that it is a literal 1,000-year reign, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 8. And I did give a handout last week. Are there still some handouts out there in the foyer that give the um, millennium? It's the different views of the millennium. And the one is Christ returns before the millennium. Another one is Christ returns after the millennium. And then there are those who believe that there is no millennium, that Christ just comes back to the earth and that everything will eventually just get better and better and better until that time. Then heaven and earth, they are destroyed. Then there's the great white throat judgment and the new heavens and the new earth and the rest of eternity takes place from that point. So you guys have any questions about any one of those sections of eschatology? You all good? Okay, so the next one, the next outline. <coughs> now this, this one is the difficult part because you have to take, and I've listed them there, I think, on both of your outlines. Let me see if it's on the first one too. I don't see it on the first one, but on this next one, I've listed Mark chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21. Those are all what are referred to as the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus was telling his disciples what was going to take place in the future, it was on the Mount of Olives. That's why they call it the Olivet Discourse. And he was explaining to them after they had walked by the temple, and we're going to read these scriptures here. After they walked by the temple, 
They said, look how magnificent these things are here, this temple, this whole temple complex. And Jesus told them in the King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, not one stone will be left upon another. In other words, they'll all be pulled down and it, they'll be separated and the place was uh, lined with gold. And of course, we know that in 70 AD, Titus came in and he ransacked uh, all of Jerusalem. They didn't want to destroy the temple. They wanted to keep it intact, but it caught on fire. All the gold melted on the inside, and they pulled off each stone to get all the gold inside of the temple. And so Jesus' prophecy came true at that particular point. Now, as we look at those three chapters in those three Gospels, and these Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. That means they have a lot of the similar stories in them. John is completely different. John doesn't have all these similar stories, but these three do. Some people refer to this one particular text that all three of these writers referred back to. We don't have that text anymore. We just simply have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so what I'm going to do is read mostly from Matthew chapter 24. And it's where these disciples, they have three questions, and I've listed them there for you. The three questions, actually, let me read. You probably want to open up your Bible too. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3 is where it begins. And it reads, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of the coming and the end of the age? And, of course, this is talking about the temple and its destruction. And so they're going, when? When is this going to take place? So that's the first question. When will this happen? Referring to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Second question is, what sign would precede his second coming and not the rapture? We're not referring to the rapture here. The rapture, the doctrine of the rapture, didn't happen until after Paul got saved and he wrote 1 Corinthians and he wrote uh, 1 Thessalonians, specifically in chapter 4, and also the apostle John wrote John chapter 14. Uh, then, what will be the sign of the end of the age? <clears throat> now, the end of the age is where the Gentiles are going to rule and reign. It, the Jews thought that the Messiah was going to show up and he was going to establish his earthly kingdom at that particular point. And he didn't. He had to die, and it was prophesied, but they didn't recognize that at the time Jesus went to the cross. And so there is going to be an end of the age. <clears throat> and there are lots of things that lead up to that, and they are sown through Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21. You can't just take one of them and say, okay, here's the timeline, because they seem to jump around a little bit or there are voids. And so what I have done with this, and this might be kind of hard the first time you have a rough outline. If you've never gone through this before, you're going to go, wait a second, hold on. You just skipped over to Mark chapter 13, or wait, you just skipped over to Luke chapter 21. Not only do you have those, but you have Ezekiel chapter 38. You have Zechariah, which we're going to get into, uh, chapter 14. All the minor prophets, uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all of those guys are prophetic books in the Old Testament. And so there are hints in each one of those as well that point to the coming of Jesus Christ. So, and it, like for instance, uh, Isaiah seven fourteen and Isaiah nine six. Um, your kids know those. 
Nice and loud. You remember it? One is, for unto us a child is born. Perfect. Well, how about uh, a virgin will conceive and will be with child? Okay. But those, those are also prophetic. And they were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. So as you start going through the scripture, remember 25% of it is prophetic. Some of it has already been filled, fulfilled and some of it hasn't. And you have to be able to discern. Once you read through the entire text of Scripture, you go through and you pick out what yet is yet to be fulfilled. And some of it we don't even understand which is going to apply. For instance, when um, Jesus was here on earth that killed all the young babies. Remember that? And then there was this verse that was plucked out of Scripture. There is a voice crying Rachel weeping for her children, for they were not. And that was referring to the babies dying. And nobody originally, if they were to read that, they wouldn't know that it was applying to the death of the children when Jesus was born. And so all I'm going to do here is I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to thread pearls for you guys. And you can put those pearls on a necklace and go, okay, this is what is going to happen. And these are three things that are going to take place during the first part of the tribulation. These are eight things that are going to take place during this time on the earth here. And this is what we can watch for because Jesus wanted to tell us, he wants us to know what will be the sign of the end of the age and what would be the sign that would precede a second coming. As far as the temple being torn down, that has already been fulfilled. Before Jesus answered these questions, he gave an exhortation to his disciples. He said in verse 4, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So this idea of false messiahs will arise. There are false messiahs today. There's that one pastor, if you guys have seen him on YouTube, claims to be Jesus, and everybody should worship him, and he has his own following, and it's just, it's just bizarre uh, to watch that guy. <clears throat> but there are plenty of false messiahs who are out there. The, the second thing is wars and rumors of wars. This is different than nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. These are being referred to as localized wars in the vicinity of Israel and Jerusalem. So he says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. So Egypt will be involved, uh, maybe the people going over to the Mesopotamian area, um, Asia and to the north up in uh, Syria and Lebanon and those areas. There would be wars surrounding them. But he says, don't worry, the time is not yet. It's not going to be fulfilled yet. So he gave them a warning, watch out, no one deceives you, and there are going to be wars. So that was for them. Now, these things do not shape the signs on the end. In the beginning, there would be travail of nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, also famines and earthquakes. In verse 7, that's what it says. 
Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. This is also the same thing that is listed in Mark chapter 13, verse 8. And so these two go together. They fit together like a puzzle. They mean the same thing. And what he's referring to here, if you go back in the original language, it's referring to these different ethnos uh, communities. These different kingdoms, these different countries are going to be warring against each other. It's kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. This is a Hebrew idiom for world war. Have we had a world war yet? We have World War One and World War Two. Some people say they're one and the same. They they just took a break for a little while. But that was going to be the beginning of birth pangs. That's what was written or talked about by Jesus. As soon as you see kingdom against kingdom, <coughs> excuse me, a nation against nation, that's a sign, a world war. When that happens, that's the beginning of the birth pangs. And he says there's also going to be earthquakes in various places. Now, there have always been earthquakes. Some people have erroneously reported that the earthquakes are increasing in intensity and frequency. It's not so much that. The earthquakes are taking more and more of the population. Uh, If you remember over the last decade or so, there have been earthquakes over in the Middle East that have killed tens of thousands of people. Whole communities have been wiped out. There was one a few years ago that was... Down in Mexico, just across the border, is 7.2 on the Richter scale. We just kind of shook, and that was it. But down there, they were just kind of destroyed. There was a few people that died down there. The buildings were collapsing. Well, in the Middle East, it's even worse. There are whole buildings. There was just one, um, was it last week? There was a whole building, a high-rise that was tilted, and half of it had collapsed. And he says this is the beginning of birth pangs in Pakistan and uh, I think Iran is either Iran or Iraq a few years ago, maybe as a decade ago. Lots of people died. Tens of thousands of people had succumbed. So he goes, this is it. This is the beginning. And so from that point is when you start clicking off. You go, okay, the woman's in labor, so to speak. And that's how he phrases it here. Now going on with this. Now, I'm going to shift over to the book of Luke. You might want to put your finger or a bookmark over in Matthew. And Luke goes back to when the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. Verse 9 says, When you hear of wars and rumors, or wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence. So he adds to it here in this text. In various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. So he lays this out. He starts with wars and rumors of wars, which is a world war. Now, if we take this in sequence, we see that there are earthquakes that come after that. And there are earthquakes all the time. And if you watch any of these nature channels, they're talking about earthquakes caused by volcanoes. And, you know, the earth is going through these birth pangs and we don't know what's going to go on. We've seen these famines which have killed thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. And pestilence, what's the latest pestilence to come along? Zika. Yeah, the Zika virus. 
<coughs> Zika and also um, dengue that's making inroads even into the United States. Now, they haven't killed anybody, but these are like new things. They know that Zika started over in the Far East, and I forget which country it was, but it was in the 1940s. It just popped up, and it went from an animal, I think it was a monkey, and now it's traveling through, and it's becoming part of the human population. And in Brazil, they said they had, I think the number was 40,000 children that were affected with this microcephaly, which is the shrinking of the skull and the brain. And so this is bad. You know, this is not a good thing. And so we have these pestilences which are coming along in various places. And he's talking about a worldwide thing. He's not just limiting it to the area of Jerusalem. And fearful events. Now, what might those fearful events be? So far, he is on the natural realm. He hasn't hopped into the tribulation period where there are supernatural things. What would you classify as a fearful event? Think of anything that would be a fearful event on a worldwide scale where we would find out about it or maybe localized in a section of the world. What? A, a what? You guys are all talking. Meteor, yeah. Now imagine, uh, what was it, a year ago? A meteor came down in Russia? Did you guys see that one? It was just blazing across the sky. That made international news. So if you have some big meteors come down and they're watching for them all the time, that would be a fearful event. What about uh, another Mount St. Helens? You know, they talk about Yellowstone all the time, that if Yellowstone goes, that's it, man. The United States, most of the United States is gone, and they're talking about this stuff. So those would be fearful events. And also, signs from heaven. Now, in this particular case, I think he's referring to the second heaven. If you guys are aware of it, the first heaven, according to the Apostle Paul, is the atmosphere. The second heaven is where the celestial bodies are, the stars, the moon, the planets, the galaxies, all of that. The third heaven is where God dwells. In this particular place, he's probably talking about the heavens where the stars are. And so if you're talking meteors, or meteorites coming down, that would be something. But <clears throat> there's always these gamma ray bursts. Have you guys watched some of these science programs? We're worried about being killed by a gamma ray burst out there. Or we're worried about uh, supernovas, but supernovas are so far away. But if you saw a supernova during the daytime, would you think, wow, now that's, that's something big. If you saw the sun come up over here, and then in the morning you saw a supernova over there, and it was just as bright as a sun. I've mentioned this before when I took astronomy in college. Uh, the teacher, Mr. Olson, he told us that Betelgeuse in the constellation Orion, and that's not a movie, in the constellation Orion, it's a red giant, and it's pulsating, and it, he said it could go off in our lifetime. And he goes, if it does, it will be eight times brighter than the sun during the day. And so if you saw something like that, you just go, okay, that's... That's something. And so if we see something like that, we know we're getting even closer because Jesus told us it's going to happen. We've already seen some of these signs. Now, some will say, ah, this is just like Nostradamus. You know, the guy, he had all these quatrains and he was being kind of vague on what's taking place. Now, these are pretty specific. 
right? You got earthquakes, you have famine, you have pestilence, you have fearful events, something that might be worldwide or on one of the giant continents, and then signs from the heavens. They're specific. And that's the way Jesus really teaches us is in specifics. In verse 12, in chapter 21 of Luke, before all this, and he's talking about before nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and earthquakes and famines and pestilence and fearful events and great signs from heaven, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before the kings and governors all on account of my name. So he's telling them, he's, he's hopping back. He went from the destruction of Jerusalem to world wars to all the events that happened during these birth pangs. And he goes, but before all this, you guys are going to have to worry. You're going to be handed over to the authorities. Now, do you know of an apostle that went before Festus and Felix because he was thrown into prison for a couple of years and he had to give testimony of Jesus Christ, which it says right here. Let me read it again. They will deliver you to synagogues and to prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. Who was that apostle? Apostle Paul. That's right. It was in Acts chapter 24 and 25. He was before Festus and Felix. And so we see the fulfillment of that later on. It was uh, over a decade, maybe two decades later, between that time but it came to fruition verse 13 says this will result in your being witnesses to them but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves for i will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict you will be betrayed even by parents brothers relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death and this is is of course what was taken place even when the apostle paul who was formerly known as saul got letters from the rabbis and went out and killed Christians and people were turning these Christians over to the Apostle Paul and they'd be stoned to death. Verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish by standing firm, you will gain life. Now this perish doesn't mean physical death. This perish means spiritual death. You will not die a spiritual death, right? If you're born twice, you die once, right? You won't die the second death. Going on here. Now, things the disciples would see before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, verse 21, he's, he's warning them, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that desolation is near, referring to those people who are believers back in the time of Christ. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be a great distress in the land and wrath against the people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This is what I referred to before. The time of the Gentiles is where the Jews will no longer have the temple and the time of the Gentiles will be all those who are not Jews will be ruling everywhere. That's the time of the Gentiles. It ends with the rapture of the church. When the rapture of the church goes up, that's when the tribulation begins. And so the time of the Gentiles comes to a close. So the first Jewish revolt, uh, this would just be for your own information, against the Romans was in AD 66. And he came, this guy, uh, Cestus Gallus, came with his armies from Caesarea and surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, Supplies were lacking, so he pulled back to Caesarea 
On the way, he was killed. Many of the Jews fled to the east area of Jordan, which it says flee to the mountains. If you are in Jerusalem and you go directly east, you have to go down towards the, the Dead Sea and you come to the city of Jericho. Across the valley, the plain that is there, where they do believe Sodom and Gomorrah was located, if you keep on going, there are mountains. And that mountain range has Petra, the city in Jordan that is just massive. Tens of thousands of people could have lived there. And Petra is all carved out of stone. It is not a place where you would see dwelling places made with brick. They, they cut it all out of stone. You can look up Petra. It's a fantastic place. Then in the year AD 68, a new Roman general by the name of Aspasian and his son Titus besieged the city again. And in year AD 70, the city and the temple were destroyed. 1,100,000 Jews were killed. So if you were a believer at this time, Jesus was telling the believers, get out. Get as far away from the city as you possibly can. Don't wait. And there was a, a preliminary attack and they had time to get out, to get away from the city. And so Jesus was warning them of the attack. So this is prophecy fulfilled in the past. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> yes. I'm sorry, before what? No. No, he went back. What he was doing, this was prophecy for the people to whom it was written. He spoke it verbally, but what happened is he goes back and forth. He starts, he goes up to the earthquakes and famines and nation against nation. Then he goes, but before all this, this is what you guys are going to have to watch out for. And so he spoke prophetically, and then the people knew it, and they had a chance to flee. And when Titus came in, they fled. And where did they flee to? They fled to the mountains, which would have been to the east. And so there is a historical record for this. So prophecy was fulfilled. Because this prophecy was fulfilled, we can be sure that what takes place in the future, we can trust. That's why we can trust anything prophetically. Okay, so now... Uh, Verse 9 says, then, and this is referring to after nation rises against nation. So we're going all the way back to the future for the world wars. It says, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so you can kind of tell from what is written here, many will turn away from the faith. Now, some would say the faith of the Jews or the Christian faith. It's the Christian faith that many are going to turn away from. You see, as the gospel has been going around the world, it started in Jerusalem. It went up to Antioch. From Antioch, Paul wanted to go over to Asia, but he was prevented from doing so. And from that point, he headed towards Europe. And the gospel went through Europe, and all of Europe got evangelized. Then it was sacked by the Muslim armies, the Moors and the Ottoman Empire and all of that. Then it hopped, and it came over to the United States. Of course, the Puritans left England, and the gospel went all the way through the United States. It went all the way across over to California, and from California it went down, and it also went up. It went down to South America. And then from there, where did it go? Also from Europe, those who were in Europe went east, and those from the United States went west over to china and over in china now there are tens 
of thousands, maybe even millions of Christians there. And they're not talking about it in the news, but the uh, pastor of the largest church in China went missing. They just took away the, all the crosses uh, in China. They just did this not too long ago. They don't want any crosses there anymore. They're persecuting the pastors who are there. And these are the pastors of the churches that tried to get along with the government. And this one pastor, he just disappeared. They don't know where he is. They're thinking maybe he's dead at this particular point. But when that gospel, it goes all the way around the world. And this is one of the things that has to happen for Jesus Christ to come back. There's only these people groups like in New Guinea. If you've gone down to Mexico with us, they talk about Papua New Guinea, some of these islands, the remote islands down there. The gospel has to go around to all the world. So nobody is without excuse. Everybody gets the gospel. And then Jesus Christ will come back or the... um, uh, tribulation will start at this particular point. But he says, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Now, is there hatred in this country for each other? I mean, just, you know, even some of the racial stuff that's going on. Did you hear about the guy who was, uh, he was in a restaurant and a, a bunch of black kids came in and said to this guy, turned to him and said, do black lives matter? And he ignored him. And they ended up hitting him, knocked him out. He had a concussion. And they left, and he reported it to the police. I mean, just the tensions are rising even in this country. You know, after this election, I have no idea what's going to go on. But it's like that around the world. Now there are places in this country where they're writing a Muslim-free zone. Have you seen those? Heard about that? That's taking place. Look at it in Europe, too. It's The tensions are rising in Europe. All the Muslims are going into all these countries, and there are groups that are rising up over there. It's turning into a powder keg because there is no moral authority, and people are trying to just, let's just get along. I think that Rodney King said that. Can't we all just get along? Well, it's not going to happen. It's just getting worse and worse, and the love of many will grow cold, and people are just going to be killed left and right, and there's going to be mayhem, and people are going to be looking for a solution. Hence, the Antichrist will come in, and he'll provide a solution, at least a temporary one. He goes on to say in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached where? In the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We are close to all nations and all people groups, all ethnic groups. And there are Christian organizations dedicated to reaching those groups who haven't been reached. Their goal is to get into every one of these areas who have never heard the gospel. And once that happens, we have been given it in Scripture. That's when the end comes. That's why we're supposed to be involved in getting the gospel. The quicker the gospel gets out there, the last person that gets saved, for instance, the... um, Uh, time of the Gentiles. There's one last person that has to get saved in the time of the Gentiles. That's the number. Either they're a man or a woman or a child has to get the gospel, and they're going to be the last one. And as soon as that happens, we're out of here. And so we need to give the gospel. And then it starts the ball rolling for everything else. Now, from our perspective, that's when it starts. No, Jesus has his plan. We know when it's going to end, but we just need to be a part of that. Now, five events that will occur in the first half of the tribulation. So we know that the gospel has to happen, the wars, rumors of wars, the pestilence, the earthquakes in various places, the signs from the heavens and fearful uh, events will take place, and then the tribulation starts. The rapture has happened at this point, according to John 14, 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Corinthians. 
and Isaiah 26. So one of the first things, and you have it written out there, tremendous persecution under the one world religious system, and that's referred to in Revelation chapter 6, 9 through 11. <clears throat> and I'm not going to go through the book of Revelation, but just to give you a, a quick synopsis of what's going to happen. There's going to be a one world government made up of 10 different kingdoms. And so what we know as to be the countries of the earth, the countries may still exist, but they're going to be divided into 10 different sections. Once those 10 different sections are together, there's also going to be a false religious system that comes up. And there's going to be somebody that rules over that false religious system. And for decades, people have been saying, oh, it's going to be the Catholic Church. Because it's a, it comes from a city that has ten hills. And, of course, Rome has ten hills on it. And, and that's the old Roman Empire. And will it be the Catholic Church? I think it will be a modification of the Catholic Church. If it is the Catholic Church, it's not going to be the Catholic Church of today. It's going to be a false religious system. Secondly, there are going to be false prophets. We just read about that. Third, tremendous rise of sin and iniquity because evil will no longer be restrained. If you want to, uh, do you have the First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter? Oh, you do. 2 verse 5, I'm just going to read it to you. Don't you remember when I was with you, and this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Thessalonica church, that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, which he's referring to the Antichrist here, so that he may be revealed at the proper time, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. He's talking about lawlessness, holding it back. Who is the one holding back lawlessness? The Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit hold back lawlessness? Through us. You know, we're the ones that stand up and say, oh, no, this is wrong. And other people go, who are you to declare something is wrong? We have this conscience in it, in us, right? And that conscience is the Holy Spirit. He tells us what is wrong, and we declare things that are wrong. We declare things that are sinful. Remove the entire church from the face of the earth. Lawlessness is just going to skyrocket at that point. You can just do whatever you want, you know, as long as it's really not affecting anybody else. Of course, no man is an island. But as long as it doesn't affect anybody else, things are just going to be fine. It'll be okay. And so lawlessness and wickedness and the love of most will go cold. You can see how this just comes to fruition. Fourth, there will be Jews who survive to the end of the tribulation. And if they do, they will be saved. But they are going to be killed along with anybody else who becomes a believer during the tribulation. They will be hunted. And they will be hunted and they will be killed if they're found out, if they don't have the mark of the beast, by the severing of the head from the body. Now, when I became a Christian in 1979, I would hear messages about they're going to revive the guillotine, right? Who's cutting off heads now? The Muslims. That tells you something about what the world is going to look like at that point. If you don't take the mark, they're going to cut off somebody's head, if they do that. And hopefully you haven't had to witness any of those videos, but it's a pretty gruesome thing. Now, am I saying the Muslims are going to do it? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a regular thing now. You see how that's happening? It's the severing of the head. It's already 
normal throughout the world. And some people are just ignoring it completely at this particular point. Fifth, worldwide preaching of the gospel. Uh, Now, this is going to take place during the first half of the tribulation period by the 144,000 that are listed in the book of Revelation, chapter 7 and chapter 14. They're going to be males. They're not going to be defiled by women, and that has one of two meanings. Either they are virgins or they are properly married and never been with another woman. We don't know which one that is going to be. They're going to be Jews, and they're going to be from the 12 tribes of Israel. It is not something spiritual. If you're a Jehovah Witness, it's not going to be one of the head of the Jehovah Witness Society, and they believe that their leaders are part of the 144,000, and that's just a bunch of made-up hooey out there. So going on, the second half of the tribulation, in verse 15, I left off in uh, Matthew 24, right? So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, I talked about this before. This is listed in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, that the Antichrist is going to come up into power and he's going to subdue a bunch of kings in order to get there and he's going to set up in the temple in Jerusalem an image, and you're supposed to worship that image. This is predicated on the temple being rebuilt. I've talked to you about the Temple Institute before. The Temple Institute is there for the specific purpose of rebuilding the temple. They are ready to go. They have everything set to go. They have all the pitchforks and everything that they need, the altar, the implements. They, have, they are training uh, the Jews who have the last name of Cohen, Uh, That comes from part of the priesthood. They have been able to follow that name, and so they're training them on how to conduct animal sacrifice. Uh, They are constantly talking about the red heifer, if they have a proper red heifer, because that has to be killed, and there can't be one gray hair on it, and they're going to sacrifice that, and the ashes are taken, and and that sanctifies the temple area when they get ready to build it. And they're, they're doing all kinds of things over there. And one of the rabbis in one of the videos, if you go over there, they're asked, do you know where the uh, Ark of the Covenant is? Because to have the temple, you have to have the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, anybody that knows anybody knows where the, or knows anything, knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. So they know where it is. They've admitted it. They, they have it ready to go. The only way that they can get this done is if there's some type of peace between the Muslims and the Jews because the Jews control the Temple Mount, but no Jews can go up there. And the Muslims dominate the Temple Mount because they have the Dome of the Rock, which is up there, the Alaska Mosque. And so there has to be a treaty. And we've already been told, according to Scripture, that the outer courts have been given to the Gentiles and the Jews will rebuild their temple and sacrifice will be reinstituted. And so all this is set up and ready to go. If you go to Israel, they talk about it. It's just, you just go, wow, this is like ready. And there's uh, this organization called the Temple Faithful. Once a year, they try to get together symbolically Uh, a group of people and place a symbolic stone, uh, the cornerstone in the temple area to set up the temple. And they want to do this. And every time they get ready to make a big hoorah about it, there's usually riots and they're throwing stones over the temple wall. And sometimes you don't even hear about it. But a couple of times people died in the past when they do it. And they want to build the temple, especially the Orthodox Jews that are there. They want that temple built. And God says it's going to be rebuilt, so it's just a matter of time. Now, switching to the second half of the tribulation in verse 15, or excuse me, we're in the second half of the tribulation, and I already mentioned to you Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 
2.27. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 17. Here it says, Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out. And this is after the abomination of desolation. Let no one in the field go back and get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight take not, not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, this one is in a different context. The first one was when the uh, temple was being ransacked by Titus. This one seems to be in another context. Which one really applies? Is he referring back or is he referring to the future? I would say yes. I mean, when the Jews at this particular point, if they see the abomination which makes desolate, what do they know? Get out of there because they're going to be killed. They're going to be slaughtered by the Antichrist. And so he's saying, just pray it doesn't take place in winter. So it seems as if this particular section where it says, you know, hopefully pregnant women, hopefully not in the winter, both would apply. Both times would apply. Same thing with Christians at this point. What should the Christians do? Hide. Take off. Try to go somewhere because it is just... It is going to give it horrible. Now, if somebody is left behind at that particular point, they have another option. They can either try to, to survive the tribulation period, and it is going to be bad. And if somebody makes it, and we've already been through the book of Revelation, everything that takes place there, but if somebody makes it all the way through, well, they'll repopulate the earth more than likely. And that's where the longevity of the individual will increase. So if you're 40 years old at that time, you might live to 800, right? Because Jesus Christ is going to come back and solve everything. The other option is turn yourself in. If you turn yourself in, what's going to happen to you? They're going to kill you. What happens when you get killed? Do you know where you go specifically? There's a specific place you go. Where? I almost heard that. Under the altar. Now, if somebody would just open up their Bible, I don't have it in front of me here. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. So it's your choice, not yours. I believe all you guys are going. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be in heaven in the rapture. If somebody's conversion hasn't been genuine and they're left behind... Those are the two options. You either flee, try to hide, hunker down. Are you going to have to kill somebody? Well, if you want to survive physically, yes. Would I recommend you do that? No, I don't. If it were me and I've made a mistake and I haven't been following Christ, I think I would opt for the off with the head type of thing. Now, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Somebody want to read that nice and loud? Nice and loud. image 
Yeah, so that's what happens to an individual who is a believer during the tribulation period because they were not a believer at the rapture. If they get saved, they turn themselves in, they get their head cut off, they go to be under the altar, and it says they are to be resurrected to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. They actually cry out and say, "When? how long until our blood is avenged? And so they have a special place, those people in the tribulation period. So what would you do? Would you try to survive? I mean, the things that are going to take place, the meteors that are going to hit, the stench that is going to be on the earth, the demons that are going to come down, the Antichrist is going to be coming after the individual. It's just going to be horrible for the people who are left here, and most of the world will die. Billions and billions of people. And so... God says, this is what's going to take place, and you have to be ready for it. And not only do you have to be ready, but tell everybody that it's coming. Yeah, and that, that could be one of those things. By the way, there's going to be the plagues that come too. Uh, and so you can just pack all this stuff on there, and everyone you know will probably die. Uh, and it will be a time of great sorrow and br- great persecution. So there are eight things that will happen here <clears throat> on the earth that Jesus tells us about. And these are the last things here besides Zechariah. I'm going to rush through these a little bit. You can go back and look them up later. First, the abomination of desolation. We know that that's going to take place. That starts the second and half of the great or the tribulation period, which is known as the great tribulation. And those scriptures that are there, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, I'm going to read that. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Second, the Jews are told to flee. This is a signal, the abomination of desolation. It is also talked about in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 13 through, what is it, 17? And you can look that up on your own. And they are also spoken to in a way that there is an urgency. And I just read that to you, let no man come out off the roof uh, of his house and go down and take anything out of the house, just get out of there. In other words, try to save your life, but most of the people are going to die during that time. So he says, don't go back for anything. Bad for pregnant and nursing mothers. Pray that it doesn't happen in winter or pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. And that would be specifically for the Jews because they're going to be persecuted just like Christians. Third, there will be anti-Semitic views. There will be a hatred for the Jews. And some will be protected in verse 21 of Matthew 24. It says, For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be equaled again. So those people that say uh, it already took place, those people who are preterists that believe the tribulation has already taken place in history, this is unequaled. I mean, it is just getting worse and worse. So the worst that has ever been on this earth, it is going to be worse than that coming up in the tribulation period. And he talks about two witnesses that will prophesy in Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 6, and they have power to shut the sky so that it does not rain for during the time that they prophesy. <clears throat> and they'll turn water into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. 
And so these are God's prophets here. Fourth, Israel will survive, but a number, but the number will be greatly reduced, just like the entire world population will be. Fifth, there will be a false Messiah, the Antichrist specifically. At that time in verse 23, if anyone says, look, here he is, or here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. So he's just making this progression from 22 to 23. Then to 24 is the sixth thing, deception through false miracles. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. In other words, it's not possible to deceive the very elect. And he's telling us, like putting a, a period at the end of the sentence, see, I have told you ahead of time. So there are going to be things that appear as miracles. Now, if you were a false prophet or the Antichrist, what miracle would you do in order to convince people that you were God? Raise the dead? That would be one. The Antichrist is going to raise from the dead himself. Who do we know that was the Christ that raised from the dead? Jesus, right? What about, would you part the sea? If I was the Antichrist and I wanted people to believe that I was Christ, yeah, I would do that. Would I turn water into blood? Well, we already know the two false prophets will do that. It looks like it's Moses and Pharaoh all over again. The Antichrist would probably certainly do that. Would he bring along the flies? Would he bring along frogs? All of those things? I think he would. I think he would try to repeat these miracles to show that he was like Moses, but you've got two prophets now that are saying, no, we're going to do these. And the Antichrist is going, no, I'm even greater than these miracles that happened in the Old Testament. So you could see how all these things could come about. The Antichrist is going to have these false miracles, and many are going to believe him because they're going to have the Bible too, but he's just going to twist it at that particular point. There's also the false prophet in verse 13. Who was the one that preceded Jesus Christ that was on earth at the same time? John the Baptist. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. He was, uh, if, you, if you can receive it according to the words of Jesus, he was the forerunner to Christ. He was the prophet Elijah. Well, the Antichrist has the same type of guy that comes along, and he's going to be a human being. Verse 11, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And so, see, a fatal wound had been healed. He rises from the dead, and he performed great miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs, he was given uh, power to do on behalf of the first beast he deceived the inhabitants of the earth he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived and so you see you have this forerunner and i'm sure they're probably just going to make it sound like well this is elijah if you can receive it he will even use christ's own words i believe that's my opinion you won't find that in scripture but i believe he's going to do that because he wants to pass himself off as god and seventh the second coming will not be in secret. Will the rapture be in secret? <laughs> well, if you go to our Reformed brothers and sisters, they will accuse those in Calvary Chapel of talking about a secret rapture. It won't be secret when we're gone, right? How many Christians are in the earth? 
millions. Take millions out of the earth. What are they going to say happened? Alien abduction. Yeah, probably an alien abduction will take place. When we're all gone, and we talked about this before, the trumpet, when you hear the trumpet blast, the shout, will the whole world hear that shout? Or will it just be the Christians? Will the whole world hear the trumpet call? Or will it be just the Christians? I think God might let them hear the shout and the trumpet call, the blast. What was that? And all of a sudden, millions of people are gone. You could just see how this could be set up. Now, again, I want to reiterate what I said in the beginning of the study on eschatology. For me, this is surrealism. I look at this and I go, you got to be kidding me. This is a, there's going to be millions of people just here once and then disappear, just like a magician. Just They're going to be gone, right? And then the Antichrist is going to show up and all these plagues are going to happen. It seems like there is no way. And the only reason I believe it is because prophecy has been fulfilled before Jesus rose from the dead just to make sure we had believe it. And so it's kind of like if you gave it a truism, it's going to happen. That's the eighth point, truisms. You guys know what truisms are? Uh, it's like um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Or um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's a truism, right? You can look up truisms. I went to one website, had over 600 truisms, things that you would recognize right away. Here's a few of them. A good lawyer makes a bad neighbor. <clears throat> a coward dies a thousand deaths. A brave man dies but once. Um, a liberal is a man who is willing to spend someone else's money. A radical is a man who, with both feet firmly planted in the air. These are truisms. That's how God ends this. He says, in verse 28, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. In other words, this is going to happen. There's going to be death. And that, that last verse there can seem kind of ethereal or you can't really grab hold of it what he means he's just saying look it's going to happen they're sure shooting so to speak it's going to take place and it was a truism so that is the extent of the tribulation i want to close out with zechariah chapter 14 this is a prophetic passage here he's referring to the end times if you guys want to grab your bibles And just open up to Zechariah chapter 14. This kind of summarizes when Jesus comes back. (coughs) Zechariah chapter 14 verse 1. says, A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Let me stop here for a second. Sometimes when prophecy was given, it had a dual meaning. It would mean something that was going to take place in their day and age or shortly after the prophecy was given. It could also take place in the distant future. 
And so sometimes it would have a double meaning. This is a possibility here in verse 2. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, and this is when he returns, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem where he actually gave the teaching, the Olivet Discourse. And the Mount of Olives was split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain, or excuse me, by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come in all the holy ones with him. Do you guys know who those holy ones are? It's you. That's, that's who's coming back because we are in heaven. John chapter 14. On that day, there will be no light, no cold, or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime. A day known to the Lord when evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea. The eastern sea is the Dead Sea. The western sea is the Mediterranean. In summer and winter. Uh, have you guys ever seen a natural spring bubbling up out of the ground? A few of you have. If you go to Jerusalem, there are three beginnings of the Jordan River. And one in the city of Dan, it is 4,000 gallons a minute come out of one of the three origins of the Jordan River. And they've made it into this beautiful garden. Another one is at... Um, what's the name of the place? Caesarea Philippi. And this water, it just comes out of the ground, thousands of gallons per second. It just bubbles up out of the ground, and it starts this river flowing, and it all goes to the Jordan when it, it takes place. And so in Jerusalem, underneath the Temple Mountain, I've seen pictures of it, the Crusaders, they built these caverns down there, and they actually have Crusader architecture under there, and they're big caverns, and they're filled with water because water has been collecting or bubbling up in the Temple Mount area. And he says, at that point, from that Temple Mount, water will flow down, and I assume it's going to go just right down by um, Jericho, and it will go right to the Dead Sea, and then the Dead Sea is going to fill up, and it's going to flow out into the Red Sea is where it's going to go. He goes on to say, the Lord, verse 9, will be king over the whole earth. Now, this comports with the thousand-year reign of Christ in the end of the book of Revelation. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The whole land from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, will be like the... Araba, but Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place from Benjamin Gate to the first site of the first or to the site of the first gate to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the royal wine press. He is marking out here the old city of Jerusalem and the walls. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. <clears throat> I need to say at this point that Jerusalem will be destroyed but it will be replaced with the new Jerusalem that comes down because this earth will be done away with. And so what he's referring to here is nobody will come in and lay siege to it. It will always remain as long as the Lord rules here on earth. This is the plague 
with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will will seize the hand of another and they will attack each other. Judah too will fight at Jerusalem. Wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys and all the animals in those camps. This is how God deals with those remaining on the earth that are there to fight. He just destroys them. Now imagine somebody standing there. Their eyes melt in their sockets and their flesh rots away as they're standing there. It just happens. And he goes, that's it. I'm done with you guys. And whoosh, across the face of the earth, those people who are not believers and not the Jews that are going to remain, he just destroys them utterly. The survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the people on the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicted on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on on the bells of the horses and on the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them on that day. Excuse me. And on that day, there will be, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. So he describes what's going to happen at that particular point. This is the length and breadth of what is what we're looking forward to the rapture the tribulation period the thousand year reign how Christ will set up his kingdom until the new Jerusalem comes so you kind of got this outline of what's going on now you probably won't remember it if this is the first time you've gotten it or the second time or even the third time but we know it's coming when you witness to somebody about this the Lord will bring it to remembrance even if it's sporadic he will give you the knowledge because you have it if you are willing the thing that I'm going to do next week is cover briefly some of the uh, events that are taking place, why we should think it's really close. We're going to kind of piece together modern-day technology and events. Do you guys have any uh, questions with what we've done? So, Yes. Hitler, Henry Kissinger, yeah. Barack Obama, they're all supposed to be the Antichrist, right? Well, well, Hitler, not so much. He was obviously not. But, um, but he did have the Antichrist. Yeah. Well,
we don't know. We might see, he might be around today. We might even know who he is, but he's being held back. Now, the difference between what took place in the past, where people thought this is it, the Antichrist has come, the Jews are being killed, this is definitely the time of the tribulation that's coming up, there's one difference. One of the things, at least one that I'll give you right now, one of the things that has taken place is the Jews have come back into their land. The Jews are tied to the land. Abraham... I'm sorry? When? Yeah, that's when it began. May 14th, 1948. <clears throat> but... No, no, and and that this is the generation, according to Matthew chapter 24, that will see all these things brought to fruition. And so the Jews were prevented from being in the land as a nation. They were always there. They always had a presence, but they have been prevented from being a nation. And I believe this nation that exists right now, the nation of Israel, will be the last one, and it will never be destroyed again. But that is the goal of all the surrounding armies, which if the spirit of Antichrist is prevalent in all the surrounding countries and armies, they want to take it out. They want to get rid of it. But God will not allow that to happen. And it's only God who's going to save it. So that's the big marker because the Jews have to be there. The temple has to be rebuilt. All of these things have to take place in order for these prophecies to be true. And so that was a big one, May 14th, 1948, that took place. That's the $64,000 question, isn't it? <clears throat> all, we, all we know is that evil will rise. And as righteousness is being suppressed, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Well, there's one who is going to be the embodiment of that. How much more wicked can it get? I mean, as far as morality is concerned. Abortion needs to be worldwide. Uh, immorality Sexual immorality needs to be worldwide. There are some holdouts on that, uh, but they will end up succumbing, whether it's before the tribulation or after the tribulation, because those people who have a system of morality will be taken out. Now, the world has its own morality, but it's mutable. It changes. Where ours, it's been the same. You know, so those are the signs that are coming about. And as far as our country, uh, one final thing, I'll close with this. In our election that's taken place, Scalia just died. If there is a liberal justice that comes in, I promise you, the Christians, that will be the beginning of the Christian persecution in this country. There have already been cases been brought up, for instance, the Ten Commandments that will be in front of the courts. There was a case that went before the Supreme Court to get rid of those, which would have gotten rid of all the Ten Commandments all across the country. Uh, the idea that you can be a nonprofit, that you can exist tax-exempt as a church. They've been talking about that for years to get rid of it. Uh, your contributions to any uh, 5013C church, it went from being 100% deductible to now 20% deductible, and they want to get rid of that deduction as well. And so there will be this idea, the society in general, 
the Christians are the extremists. They have been labeled those who are on the fringe, those who are the radicals. And so as you see this taking place, it will be codified into law. Your guns will be taken away. There have already been uh, groups go to the Supreme Court that want to take the guns away. People will die in this country when they come to get the guns if there is uh, a liberal put on the Supreme Court. And so everything that we know as this country has been founded will be turned over. This is a huge fight. I don't know how it's going to turn out. It's an election year. You know, but I believe that's going to be the beginning. So that's one of the things I'll talk about uh, just a little bit next week. Uh, we don't know how it's going to turn out. So any final questions on that? Yeah, sir. First. The first resurrection began with Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. That's the first fruits. The first resurrection doesn't end until uh, the rapture. The rapture is when that happens and also those who are under the altar. So we take part in the first resurrection. The second resurrection is where you have the great white throne judgment. And so we have already received our new bodies in the rapture. And so as far as being resurrected, the purpose of resurrection is to get a new body. Christ got a new body. We will get the new body. The people underneath the throne or the altar in heaven, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, will also get a new body. Those holy ones, the saints, will come back. All of those people will come back. Now, the, the controversy seems to be, at least the uh, dichotomy, what about the Jews who believed in the Old Testament? Will they be part of the church? Some people believe, no, they're not part of the church. They have their own particular fulfillment. I, I really don't know. I've looked at that several times. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be resurrected at the second uh, resurrection or if they take part in the first resurrection. I don't know. But there will be righteous people resurrected at the second resurrection because those who are righteous in the Lord that die in the millennium will be resurrected. And they will get new bodies. So anyhow, I'm going to close it out. It's uh, five till. So let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this information that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to be watchful. As your word says, watch and pray. We know the signs of the times. We know that it is closer than it has ever been. And help us to be uh, carriers of your word to those who inquire and to those who we give reasons to inquire. Help us to provide for them your word, your wisdom, your info. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.